Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes, but he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things, 
Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Well, the date was October 8, 1871. The place, Peshtigo, Wisconsin. On that night, a deadly fire tore its way through that small town and the surrounding areas, killing hundreds in a devastating disaster. Uh, The only place for citizens to go was the body of water going through the town. One minister in the town recounted later, people seemed stricken dumb by terror. They jostled each other without exchanging look, word, or counsel. Nature alone lifted up its voice and spoke. Hundreds died, but the tragedy was largely eclipsed by another fire that started, I believe, the same night, the great Chicago fire of 1871. Yet still, today, if you visit Peshtigo, you'll find the Peshtigo Fire Museum and While there, you'll be able to view the artifacts left over from that deadly night. And one of those items on display in that museum is a Bible. A Bible blackened by the flames and petrified by the heat, opened to Psalm 107. Psalm 106 and Psalm 107. One writer Chaffin Mitchell considers that particular artifacts, artifact, and he writes this. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The beginning of Psalm 106 and 107 reads, A haunting declaration that may seem to contradict the tragedy that unfolded one fateful night in northeastern Wisconsin. Well, church family, Psalm 107 is our text for this Sunday after Thanksgiving. And the year 2020 has been a sort of fiery night of the soul for many. Certainly for each one of us, it has not been anything close to an easy year. Many of us have roller coastered from anxiety to frustration to loneliness to angst, and back to anxiety. And so is there reason in 2020 to be thankful? Is there reason to praise and show gratitude to the God who somehow and for some reason in his mysterious providence allowed COVID-19 to come change our lives? and impact our world over these past eight months and for the foreseeable future. Well, Psalm 107 comes along this afternoon with an answer. There's a lot we could go to in the psalm. We're not going to hit on everything. But for our purposes this afternoon, let's just consider one summary statement of this psalm and then work through it together. So here it is. Because of who God is, And what he has done, we give thanks together. Because of who God is and what he has done, we give thanks together. So first uh, thing we should see in that statement then is 
that because of who God is, we give thanks. And we see the character of God immediately there in verse 1. The psalmist commands, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. And he follows it up immediately with the reason why we ought to do that. He says, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So right off the bat, we see reasons given for why God is worthy of our thanksgiving even this afternoon, even this year. He is good, says the psalmist. His steadfast love endures forever. Church, our God is perfectly loving. And that's a truth that we can bandy about a bit in our talk, right? Even those who don't claim to follow Jesus like to talk about God as a God who loves. But what does it mean that God loves? Well, it means that God has always existed in a loving relationship. And in the relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, God has eternally given of himself to others. That's a a, a definition for God's love that one theologian gives us. His eternal giving of himself to others. That's his love. That's forever been the case in the relationship of the Trinity. In that relationship, God forever gives of himself to other, others and brings glory to his name. And now, amazingly, he has brought us into that Trinitarian love. The word here in Psalm 107 describes God's love as steadfast. That's portraying God's love as unfailing, faithful, committed, merciful towards his people. God is full of love towards his own. He has made promises to keep his people, to save his people, to bring them to himself, and he will make good on that promise because his love is true. It's inexhaustible. It never ends. Verse 1, it endures forever. You know, uh, we, I had the joy of uh, performing Drew and Caroline's wedding ceremony uh, two Saturdays ago. And if you've attended a wedding recently, you'll remember what is a typical part of a ceremony are the vows. And a typical wording of these vows is that Uh, We will love and faithfully commit to our spouses, and how's it end? Until death do us part. And so as serious and beautiful and lasting as these wedding vows are, in their very wording, they presume that our love is limited. Our lives are finite. All of our lives, after all, end. Our lives are finite, and so is our ability to faithfully commit to our spouses. But God, God's love, his commitment of love towards his people never ends. It never fades. It doesn't end with death. God's love towards us is not because of our lovability. It's because of who he is. He is faithful. He cannot deny himself. And so he loves us. Till the end. And so we give thanks to God for who He is. 
And this praise of God's character reverberates through this psalm. Perhaps this is one of the repeated phrases you noticed as Angelo read it for us. That phrase, steadfast love. Repeated in verse 1, verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31, verse 43. God's steadfast love endures forever. His love is not fickle. It's not weak. It's not periodic. It's not seasonal. His love lasts for eternity. And so even before we get to God's actions towards us, we give thanks for who he is. But... The bulk of this psalm does focus our attention then on the acts of, who, of this God towards us. And so our second point, our longest point, is that we should give thanks for what God has done. We give thanks for who God is and what he does. See, God's love, his goodness, overflows towards us in what the psalmist calls wondrous works. That's another phrase repeated through this psalm. We're to thank the Lord for his steadfast love, verse 8, and for his wondrous works to the children of man. See, when we think about who God is and we look at his character and we see how good he is and how loving he is, we aren't only observers of God's goodness. We're recipients of it. Look at verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say say so whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands. This is a psalm for the redeemed, for those who have not only observed God's goodness, but received it. So who's this, gospel, who's this psalm for? In, in one sense, this psalm is a psalm rejoicing in God's deliverance of his people from exile. So Israel, God's Old Testament covenant people, had been conquered by their enemies. They'd been taken into exile for their rebellion against God. But after a time, a remnant had returned to the land. And so this psalm rejoices in that salvation. Here's a cool connection. Look there in verse 3. In verse 3, what do we see God doing? We see God gathering his people. And that's in a direct answer, response to the plea just a few verses earlier in Psalm 106, verse 47. Look back there. Just a few verses before our psalm starts this afternoon. Psalm 106, 47. The plea is here. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Well, God has done it. He's gathered up his people from east, west, north, and south. So what we get is what was promised, thanksgiving. And this psalm, as it moves forward, shows how God delivers. So this psalm is about Israel. Yet, as we read this psalm, I think as, as Angela read this, hopefully you notice this is super applicable language to us, to you and me, to men and women who have seen our dire need and now see the saving works of the Lord. Now, this is a story of Israel, yes, but it's also the story of all who have received the redeeming love of God. This psalm is for us, church. We, verse 2, are the redeemed of the Lord. And so as we consider the rest of this psalm, we see how God operates in love towards us. 
And we see that particularly in four different perspectives on our need and God's deliverance. Do you see those? As Angela read, you saw just kind of these repeated uh, four different sections in verses from verses 4 to 32. Four sections where we get four different looks at how God delivers his people. Uh, in each section, uh, you probably saw a similar sequence. Uh, a sequence that first shows just this terrible situation. Followed then by a cry out to God, resulting in his merciful salvation, and then the subsequent praise of his people in thankful hearts. So, terrible situation, cry out to God, merciful deliverance, thankfulness of his own. Does it sound familiar? That's the sequence of the gospel, isn't it? We're all in a terrible situation, our fallenness and lostness and sin. But because God has reached out to us in love, he gives us the ability to cry out to him for forgiveness and salvation, a salvation he's only too happy to effect on our behalf. Mostly sending his beloved son to bear the curse of sin in our place. And the salvation now leads to new revived, regenerate hearts within us, beating in and out with thankfulness, satisfied in him alone. So let's look briefly at these four sections. I think we can, and I've been helped by Derek Kidner in his commentary here, I think we can summarize them, verses 4 through 9, lostness. Verses 10 through 16, bondage. Verses 17 through 22, sickness. And verses 23 to 32, littleness. Lostness, bondage, sickness, littleness. So there in verses 4 through 9, we see lostness. Uh, These people are wandering in desert wastes. They're, They're looking for a city, for some sort of place of refuge where they can be safe. Maybe this is speaking of Israel and their Old Testament wanderings between Egypt and the Promised Land. Maybe it's a description of Israel in exile. Regardless, this is certainly a depiction of you and I in our sin. Wandering, without refuge, without hope. The psalmist shows our hearts as hungry and thirsty. But then, then a cry a cry out to the Lord in trouble and praise him. He answers, verse 9, he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Church, consider the steadfast love of the Lord and his wondrous works towards you. You have hunger in your soul, only he can satisfy and he has. Next, verses 10 through 16, we see men and women in bondage. Lostness, now bondage. They are in darkness, verse 10. They are prisoners. Why? Well, verse 11 shows why. It shows that they have rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So this section and the next remind us of sort of the the self-inflicted nature of our misery in our sin. We have turned away from the very source of life, God himself, and we meet with spiritual death as a result. Yet, God shows mercy 
as he sovereignly places pain and suffering in our lives, so we turn to him. Look at verse 12. So he, the Lord, bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. It's gracious of God to bring us to a place where we find no one to help except the only one who truly can. And so again, God's people cry out to him and he delivers. He brings them out of darkness, out of death. He shatters their chains. He leads them out in victory. Church, consider the steadfast love of the Lord and his wondrous works towards you. If you are in Christ, he has led you out of spiritual imprisonment to sin. Charles Wesley has perhaps put it best in his age-old hymn when he wrote, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Lostness, bondage. Next in verses 17 through 22, we see sickness. Again, we see here the result of rebellion against the Lord. These are foolish men and women who think they can traverse their own path in life without the guiding hand of the Lord. They are fools. This connects nicely with our recent studies in Proverbs, right? So foolishness seeks to live apart from God's design, and it falls apart. The wise, on the other hand, live in light of the face of God. That's what we see at the very end of this psalm, verse 43. Look there real quick with me. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So these are sick souls. They're foolishly rejecting the Lord. But even as they draw near the very gates of death, they cry out and God delivers. He sends out his word and he heals them. The very word they had spurned. He delivers them and they give him praise with sacrifices of thanksgiving, singing for joy of what he has done. Verse 22. Church. Consider the steadfast love of the Lord and his wondrous works towards you. He has healed you of your sin, the disease that was eating away at your life. He has given you a new heart. And then finally, in verses 23 to 32, we see littleness. These folks are wowed down to their rightful size by the awesome power of God. They're pictured here in the midst of a storm. A storm, notice in verse 25, coming from God's own hand. And as they are humiliated in their own inability to stop it, as they reel and stagger like drunks, they cry out to God in their trouble and he hears. He makes the storm still. And so they thank him. They see their deliverance and they tell people about it. Verse 32. Church, consider the steadfast love of the Lord and his wondrous works towards you. He has sent storms into your life and then stilled them by the word of his mouth. Also, you might cling to him and find in him your refuge, your rock, your fortress, 
your strong tower, your salvation. Church, consider the steadfast love of the Lord and his wondrous works towards you. And see those wondrous works come to a head finally and fully in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is all over Psalm 107. Do you see it? He is the most wonderful display of God's steadfast love towards us. He is the pinnacle of God's faithfulness to his covenant to save. Jesus comes to give himself as the bread of life to satisfy our hunger. Jesus comes as a light cutting into our dark cell of bondage. Jesus is the healer of our diseases. Jesus is the stiller of our storms. Friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian, has 2020 been hard for you? Have you seen your need? Have you come to grips with your discontentment, your exhaustion, your desire for for something more, some sort of refuge, something you can bank on? Friend, only Jesus can fulfill what you long for. He came and lived a perfect life of obedience towards his heavenly father, the life you and I were meant to live but couldn't, so that he could then die under his father's wrath, dying the death you and I were meant to live and should have. Uh, uh, Death we were meant to die and should have. And he rose again, conquering our sin, our death, our enemy, so that if we repent of our sin, trust in him, we will be saved. That offer is open to you today. Consider the testimony of those the Lord has redeemed and cry out to him, the one who can save your soul. And church, there's a, a really good application for us to take from this psalm. What is Psalm 107 celebrating? It's celebrating God's deliverance. How? By remembering it. See, church, thankfulness grows best in the soil of remembrance. This is all over the Old Testament, where people literally set up rocks to remember something God has done. Church, consider the steadfast love of the Lord and his wondrous works towards you. Remember them. Rehearse them. Recall the times you tried to make it work on your own, yet the Lord kindly disciplined you and brought you back to himself. Remember your former life enslaved to sin and how the Lord interrupted your hell-bound race and brought you to himself. Christian, if you struggle with being thankful, maybe it's because you struggle with remembering. Praise God, Memory is something we can train and nurture. Christian, train your memory so as to recall better the wondrous works of the Lord. We all have deep-seated memories of our past, don't we? For good or for ill. Certain events that are etched into our memories and come up almost every day in our minds. But memories of God's faithfulness must be recounted and celebrated or they will fade away under the pressure of your current trials, your current anxieties. So how are you going to discipline your memory so you can rejoice like the psalmist does in the faithfulness 
of God. Maybe that's a prayer journal. I know several of you are good at journaling. So find who those people are and learn from them. Or maybe, if you're like other people I know in our congregation, you don't like writing. And it's just more of a a tedium than anything else. So maybe for you, maybe you can start a personal video log, a vlog, right, on your smartphone. You don't share it with anybody else. But you just, maybe every week you put in selfie mode and you explain to yourself in a couple years' time what's been going on, what's been hard, and how the Lord has been faithful. And you go back and, re- and look at them and, and, and view those videos later. This isn't for the sentimental among us. This is for the Christians among us. The Lord calls us to consider his steadfast love and wondrous works towards us. And considering them means we must remember them. Remembrance is like a fireplace bellows, fanning the flames of thankfulness until they leap higher and stronger for all to see and be warmed by. And that's kind of where I want us to end. For all to see. See, remember our our summary statement for this afternoon's study. Because of who God is and what he has done, we give thanks together. That's how we conclude. We conclude by about thinking about thanksgiving together. Church family, we see togetherness all over this psalm. I mean, this psalm is written to God's people together. He has saved them from exile and brought them back to his land to be together. And even today, we are called as Christians out of the world to be followers of Christ together as his church When we are saved, we are not only united to Christ, we are united to his body, to one another. So as a church, we are called to thankfulness together. Look at verse 22. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell, tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Look at verse 32. Let them extol him, where? In the congregation of the people. And praise him, where? In the assembly of the elders. Church, in the year that has been 2020, all of us have been tempted to complain and grumble. And we know, and probably have a little bit of guilt if we're honest, we know that Christians are supposed to be thankful people. So how are we to grow in gratitude when our hearts are, when we when come to church on Sunday morning and we just feel miserable? We feel discouraged, we feel beaten down by life. We need each other. We don't get ourselves up and thankful and ready and pumped and then come to church. We come to church as we are, hear the word of God, hear the songs and voices of one another, and leave pumped and encouraged and excited, hopefully. At least a little bit more than when we came. Together we remember what God has done. We need others to call us to consider the steadfast love of the Lord and his wondrous works towards us. Together, we must consider who he is. Together, we must consider his nature that never changes, regardless of how much this world or how much this country shifts. Of course, thankfulness is a personal discipline. But it is also inescapably a corporate one. 
We need each other if we're to be marked by thankfulness, not grumbling. And we do this primarily by week in and week out, basking in the light of who God is and what he's done in the gospel. The gospel, properly understood, makes us thankful people. And so we mustn't tire of rehearsing its truths. And so as we gather as a church, we gather to sing the gospel, hear the gospel, pray the gospel, see the gospel, and tell each other about how the God of the gospel has worked in our lives. So Loudon Valley, we can never guilt each other into becoming more thankful. But we can gospel each other into becoming more thankful. That's why we gather. So, if you're a member of this congregation, consider your role in stirring up that sort of thankfulness in our church. What are deeds of the Lord you can extol in the presence of those who are here? I wonder, when was the last time you went out of your way to tell another church member here something God has done for you? Thankfulness spreads. It must. Just like a stone thrown into a still pond sends ripples out into the water, so the saving works of the Lord thrown into the waters of our hearts will reverberate out in testimonies of thanksgiving and praise. A thankful heart will often be a still heart, but it will never be a silent heart. And so we must give thanks together. We must see one another as both the audience of our testimonies of thanksgiving and our accountability partners to remind us how much we do have to be thankful for. As we come to our gatherings, beaten down and discouraged, we need the faithful brother and sister who says, not to downplay what you're going through right now, but do you remember God's track record with you? Do you remember what he did that one time when you were suffering in, in, the, in similar ways? Can't you see how he might be at work even now? The author, Megan Hill, puts it like this. She says, Thanksgiving is not simply a thank you card sealed in an envelope and intended only for the eyes of the, of the divine addressee, God. Thanksgiving is an open public declaration. Thanksgiving doesn't just whisper. Thanksgiving shouts to everyone within earshot, come and see what God has done. And so church, consider the steadfast love of the Lord and his wondrous works towards you. Let's pray. Lord, you are always, always active in our lives, whether we see it or not. And yet, Lord, we confess that we are forgetful people. When anxieties peak and pressures take their toll on us, we forget the work you've done. We forget the God you are. And so, Lord, we ask by your Spirit that you would give us better memories, more disciplined remembrance of all, of all the faithfulness we've seen. Lord, even as we close now with the song, My Heart is Filled with Thankfulness, may we truly mean it with sincerity and with hope for the future, that you will continue to give us reason to thank you, especially 
when we're weak and we see your strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.